Our scripture passage this morning is John chapter 14, verses 8 through 14. It can be found in your pew Bible on page 1,675. John chapter 14, verses 8 through 14. I'm going to start the reading in John chapter 14, verse 1, for context. Hear now the reading of God's Word. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you. I am going there to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the, tru- the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really knew me, you would know my Father as well. From, out, from now on you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I've been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I've been doing. He will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. As far as the reading of God's holy word, may he bless it to the hands and minds of his people. Will you pray with me? Father, help us to see in this, your word this morning, our faithful Savior, Jesus Christ, all the more clearly displayed in his glory and seen for us to be our only comfort in life and in death. It's in Jesus' name we pray. if any of you have experienced this yourself, but one of the strangest experiences you can have as a human being is to get to know someone. And you, you get to know them a little bit better, you get to understand their personality, you get to know their features, what they look like and, and uh, what their mannerisms are and, and so on and so forth. And then, all of a sudden, you find out that this person that you've been getting to know, this person who's become your friend, has an identical twin that you didn't know about. It's kind of a strange experience, isn't it? You, you then associate all of the things that you know about the friend that you've made with this person that you've never met before, who 
looks exactly like them. And maybe you're wondering why I'm starting the sermon this way. Well, in a sense, analogically and not one for one, that's what's happening to the disciples in this moment. Christ has just promised them that they have a home, that he's going to prepare this place for them, that it's the Father's house. And Christ has just told them in verse 7, if you really knew me, you'd know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. And of course, as a good Jew... Philip, one of Christ's disciples, has been from him, with him from the beginning, says, Lord, show us the Father, and we'll be satisfied. And what continues on in this passage is sort of like the experience that maybe you've had when you've gotten to know someone and then find out they have an identical twin. So, our theme, though, this morning, and I hope that you hear it when you hear it and you understand that it's for you, that Christ, of course, is talking to his disciples on the eve of his betrayal, on the eve of his crucifixion, and he's comforting them as he knows that he's about to leave. This is often called the farewell discourse, but these words of comfort that Christ has given to his disciples are for all his disciples throughout the ages. And what Christ is seeking to communicate in this passage that we're looking at this morning is this, that he's for us, even though he may not be physically with us. He's for us, even though he is not here bodily. He is for us, even though he's seated at the right hand of the Father. And in order to look at this, in order to seek to understand this, we're going to look at this in three sections. The first is the Son and the Father, and that covers about verses 8 through 10a. And what is being described here is Jesus trying to communicate to his disciples that if you want to know something about the Father, if you want to know who the Father is, if you want to know how the Father cares for you, you don't have to look very far. Because it's standing right in front of you. The second is the words and the works. The correlation between what Christ taught in his ministry and the sign miracles that he did, the works that he did, and how they communicate to the disciples and to everyone else who has heard them or seen them that he and the Father are one. That what he has done is not in his own authority but on the authority of the Father that what was going on in Christ's ministry was God in him reconciling the world. And then lastly, we're going to look at the power and the prayer, those interesting words of Christ when he said, those who believe in me, those who are my followers, they're going to do great things than I have done. And, of course, the promise that he gives to his disciples to be the one who answers his pr- the prayers, their prayers. 
So let's look first at the Son and the Father, okay? Christ says in verse 7, If you really knew me, you'd know my Father's well. Do you know him and have seen him? And Philip asks this question, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Show us our God, and that will be enough for us. And Jesus answers him, Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? What Christ here is seeking to communicate to his disciples on the eve of his crucifixion is that what he has done has been to reveal the Father, to them. I mean, it's quite an interesting interaction, isn't it? Philip says, Lord, show us the Father. That will be enough for us. And Christ's response is, don't you know me? Don't you know me? Wait, what, what are you saying? Christ? Are you saying, you're the Father? Well, we know you're not the Father because you're about to walk into the Garden of Gethsemane and pray to the Father, Lord, Father, if this cup can pass from me, not my will but yours be done. So is he praying to himself? Of course not. But what we have here is a very strong scriptural example for us of the connection, the oneness between Father and Son. The purpose in Christ's coming is to reveal who God is. And this is the way I would say it, that in the Old Testament we learn a lot about who God is, of course it's true. We see it in shadow types. But in the coming of Christ, the full revelation of God is on display. That's why Paul can said that Christ is the image of the invisible God. The author of the book of Hebrews can say that Christ is the full radiance of God's glory. The final revelation of God. That in past times, God had spoken to the prophets. But in this day, in these last days, God has spoken to us, revealed to us, shown us in his son. So maybe many of you this morning would have the same question, would have the same response as Philip. You'd say, Carrie. Show us the Father. Show us who He is, what He's like. And my answer would be to you Do you not know Christ? The only proper response to that is to reveal, to show, to put on display for you, the people of God, Christ in all His glory.
and what you see in Christ is the Father. Don't you know me? So patient Christ is with his disciples. Three years he's spent with them preaching the gospel of the kingdom, revealing the coming of this new kingdom era and his works and his miracles. They've been among him such a long time. And here he is patiently teaching them that anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? Paul has these wonderful words in the New Testament when he speaks of what happened in Christ. That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. Do we understand that that's what's happening? That that's what happened in Christ? The Son and the Father. And that is the basis the foundation upon which Christ claimed the promise that he is for us, even though he is not physically with us. What about the words and the works? Continuing on in verse 10, Christ says, The words I say to you are not just my own. Rather, it is the Father living in me, who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. Christ here is saying to his disciples that the way in which you should have seen that the Father was in me and that I was in the Father is by paying close attention to the words which I have spoken to you. And by realizing that these are not my own words. But they are the words which the Father has given to me to speak. They're not just my own. Rather, it's the Father living in me who is doing his work. And that's to say that the teaching of the Gospels, the teaching that Christ gives, the Sermon on the Mount... The feeding of the 5,000. Any time that Christ is opening up his mouth to proclaim the good news is a work of the Father. A work by which Christ is doing the will of the Father. That word, work, in the Greek, it's erga. It's where we get our word ergonomics from. Christ continues in verse 11, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father, the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the miracles themselves. The actual Greek word behind the word miracles there is erga. Believe on the works themselves. And what Christ is wanting to say here is that his words, which are the work of the Father, have the same function, have the same purpose of his miracles, 
the sign miracles that he did, they point to something beyond him. They point to a reality. They point to a purpose. They point to the fact that God has come among them. Emmanuel, God with us. The fact that this coming of God in both the proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ and in the miracles which Jesus Christ proclaimed cry out one thing. The time has now come. Repent and believe in the gospel. The kingdom has come. The kingdom has arrived. The words and the works of Jesus Christ continue to point to the union between Father and Son. The Christ has come to do the will of the Father, both in what He says and what He does. And they point to a coming future reality where there will be no hunger. Just like the feeding of the 5,000 shows. Where there will no longer be sickness and death like the raising of Lazarus proclaims. There'll be a new heavens and a new earth. And here they are, these disciples, on the eve of their rabbi's betrayal and arrest, where there's going to be so much confusion, so much unrest, so much distress. They're not going to know what to do, where to turn. They're going to be scattered like sheep without a shepherd. Christ here is proclaiming to them, consider the words. Consider the works. May they anchor you. May they keep you pointed in the right direction. May you understand that the words which I have spoken are not just my own, but they are the words of the Father. May you understand that the miracles which I have done are meant to point you, to reveal to you, to show to you that there's a new coming reality and that you are part of that even on the day in which the sky is darkened and you don't know what's going to come next. Believe. Dear brothers and sisters, do you ponder the words of Christ when it seems that your life is tossed to and fro by the unsteady seas of this life? Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, do you ponder the miracles which Christ performed and realize that they were signs for you to know who he is, who God is, and to know that they are promises of a coming future reality. Lazarus was resurrected from the dead, but Lazarus died again. 
Christ was resurrected from the dead. And behold, now he lives forevermore. And that's something we will share in. What about the power and the prayer? Verse 12 says, I tell you the truth, anyone who has faith in me will do what I have been doing. He will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Let's stop there and consider those words in verse 12. Christ is for us even though he is not physically present with us, even though he is not bodily with us. One way that he gives this promise to his disciples is that he tells them that his work is going to continue even though he goes to sit at the right hand of the Father. His work is going to be continued in his disciples. And he gives them the promise that the things I've been doing, you will continue to do. In fact, even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Now, I believe that this verse has been used in many ways. But I want to ask you something. Do you believe that what's being said here, stated here, when we're told that we'll do even greater things than Jesus? means that we're going to be able to take five loaves and two fish and feed 5,000 people or more. I mean, I look at the raising of Lazarus from the dead and I think, I'm going to do greater things than that? Well, the key to the answer to this question, but the power that Christ is going to give to us is stated in these words, because I am going to the Father. He will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. Christ here is because it's saying that the reason why he can proclaim that his disciples will do even greater things than him is because he's going to be with the Father. Now, some say this points to the fact that as Christ goes and ascends and sits at the right hand of the Father, that the Holy Spirit is then poured out upon the believers. But I think what's being stated here is even more powerful than that. The reality of what's being described here is that Christ is saying, once I have completed my work, once I have died for your sins, and been resurrected from the grave to defeat sin and death forever. And once I ascend to sit at the right hand of the Father, a new transition will have occurred in redemptive history. That where you stand now, disciples, with me here bodily present, is not the end of the story, but simply a part of the process. And Christ can say to us that we'll do even greater things than him because now that Christ has completed his work and he's sat down, we can proclaim to people the finished and completed work of Christ and call them to belief and faith in it.
We have a resurrected Savior. We have a living Savior. And the greater things that we are called to do are not different entirely from the things that Christ did. Because what we are doing in our proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ is a resurrection that lasts forever, unlike the resurrection of Lazarus from the dead. It's a spiritual resurrection that when we share the good news of Christ, regeneration happens in the lives of sinners, men and women, every day, a partaking of eternal life. And Christ is proclaiming this as the turning of a page. He's saying, when I go to be with the Father, you'll do greater things because you will be able to proclaim, empowered and indwelt by the Holy Spirit, the finished and completed work that I have done. And you will say to others, are you distraught in your sin? Are you exhausted by living according to the world. You need rest. Come to the cross. Come to the risen Savior. Believe on Him and you shall be saved. That's the greater things that Christ speaks of here. In verse 13 and 14, he continues, I'll do whatever you ask in my name so the Son may bring glory to the Father. You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. I wonder if any of you were paying attention during the service, but every time a prayer was offered, it was ended with, and we pray these things in the name of Christ. Oftentimes we do that, we probably do it out of routine, without even thinking. We ask that these things would be answered for the sake of Christ or in the name of Christ. Personally, I love the words of the Heidelberg Catechism when it speaks about prayer, they're very powerful. And we're told when we pray why did Christ command us to call God our Father? At the very beginning of our prayer Christ wants to kindle in us what is basic to our prayer the childlike awe and trust that God through Christ has become our Father. Our fathers do not refuse us the things of this life God our Father will even less refuse to give us what we ask in faith. We are called to believe and to trust that God answers our prayers because of Christ our Lord. That is an amazing thing. The privileged access that we have by prayer to God the Father Christ. But here in this passage, Christ is saying to his disciples that as I go to be with the Father, 
I will do whatever you ask in my name, so the Son may bring glory to the Father, that you may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. There needs to be some qualifications here. I will do whatever you ask in my name does not mean the Christ is going to grant you to be the lottery winner this upcoming week. Or you may ask for anything in my name does not mean that you can ask for a Lamborghini or a Bugatti and he'll give it to you. But Christ here is saying very plain. It's very simple. What he's saying here is that on the basis of my completed and finished work half, you now will have privileged access of prayer to the very throne room of God by which you can ask for whatever you stand in need of as you seek to live faithful lives to Jesus Christ by asking it in my name. And this will bring glory to the Father that you are asking things in my name, that you are praying for peace, that you are praying for comfort, that you are praying for what you stand in need of. I don't know what clearer way Christ can say to his disciples and to all of us here this morning that he is for us even though he may not be physically with us, than to say to us all that whatever you ask in my name, I will grant you that the Son may bring glory to the Father and you may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. Dear brothers and sisters in Christ, are you standing in need of something this morning? Whatever it may be. It could be that you don't know how you're going to pay this bill that's coming up. It could be that you don't know how you're going to get through this next week with all the duties and responsibilities and appointments and, 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 and all the things that you have. It may be that you are doubting and you need to be strengthened in your faith. You need to have the confidence to know that Christ is there for you, that Christ is, is for you and not against you. It may be any number of things, but what I want to call you to this morning and every day when you feel that need pressing down upon you, the Christ has given you this promise. That now in this moment, even though he is not physically with us, he is for us because he stands in the presence of the Father and he says, whatever you ask in my name, I'll do it. Christ is for us, even though he is not physically with us. 
Do you know that Christ is for you? We'll close with this thought. It's in the very And that's this, that all these promises spoken this morning, that all these great and wonderful and comforting words are only for those who have union with Christ. These are promises for his disciples, for his followers. To know and to understand that when we see Christ, we have revealed to us the Father. To know and to understand that the words and the works Christ did reveal to us who God is. And to know and to understand that the power that we've been granted, the greater things that we will do, are going to be a proclamation of the good news of Jesus Christ and the privileged access that we have by prayer. These are all realities which we have been granted by faith in Jesus Christ. Because it's been revealed to us. And if you're here this morning and you do not believe on Jesus Christ, please know that these things are not for you. But they can be. They can be. And the call to you is the call that's the same for every sinner. If you believe on Jesus Christ, you will find him to be a perfect Savior. Turn from your sins, trust in him. Never look back. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, for these words of comfort, we pray to you, Father, and we ask, help us to see Christ all the more clear that we may see you all the more clearly. Help us to go to you in prayer for all our needs, knowing that because of Christ, but for Christ's sake, you'll answer them. Help us to know that it's even more sure that you listen to our prayers and that we really desire what we pray for. It's in Christ's name we pray, amen.